Welcome to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut, and every Tuesday, you will be spending more time with me. <laughs> and sometimes, I will be bringing some friends along as I take you through various leading ideas that I find interesting and worthy of your time in the personal finance world today. I've decided to call this segment First Dips, hoping that you and I can get first dips on these leading ideas. Okay, coconuts, welcome to another episode of Husuo Patao. <laughs> I am very annoyed by the kind of uh, media, mainstream media focus of this who and see thing. It's like, it's like as if the whole Congress and, and all these coverage, you know, is not as important as this like who and see episode. So today I'm going to try to create a breaking episode for all of you to try to debunk or challenge some of these ideas that mainstream media is pushing you. And at the end, hopefully, um, sum up some of my thoughts and some of the things that you should look out for uh, through this 20th Party Congress. And going forward, where will China be? I think that's the question in town. And uh, don't hu shuo pa ta, okay? Enough, enough. Nonsense. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. everyone, I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it, ultimately empowering us, creating a life we love while managing our finances well. Some people ask me, how do I remember this? Trust me, uh, after 300 episodes in, you will remember. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Yoroshi Financial Coconut. And today, we are going to spend some time to talk about the talk of the town, which is China, right? 20th Party Congress what to look out for and you know this whole she who saga is it even a thing should you even spend bandwidth to to care about it so to kick off our discussion uh, we definitely have to talk about the she and who saga and all these mainstream media peddling this whole narrative that you know oh is there political instability is there party disputes is there factions trying to fight each other reality is there probably is factions but is it really that important between this she who saga? Uh, I'm not very sure. But what I am sure is that a lot of the mainstream media, what they are trying to do is to sow doubt, you know, and sow all these ideas of like, oh, China is politically unstable, you know, things are happening, and, and all that jazz, right? Fundamentally trying to help you question or at least get you to question whether China is going to uh, be stable, right? With words like unprecedented. It's like, really? What's so unprecedented? Mao already has it. Jiang Zemin has gone through 13 years, more than 10 years. Right? So, so what is so unprecedented? And to be clear, what, what is so powerful about precedence? You know, so if someone do something stupid and then, oh, there's a precedence, then, okay, we can continue to do that stupid thing. Right? So, so I don't know what's so interesting about precedence, but I do know that from this whole, you know, 
20th Party Congress, uh, there are some things that I've picked up that I feel is way more important than this she, who, who, she, whatever rubbish. <laughs> but before we continue, I do think I want to address this who situation, right? Is who really sick? You know, is there some issues there? This one, nobody really knows. It looks like he's a little bit sick. It looks like maybe the way things are handled, it's not that well done. Maybe it does sow some doubt into... Um, how cemented this whole situation is. Is this stage or is this rando? Is it an error? Uh, all, all that jazz, they exist, right? And I would say that uh, they're all kind of valid, right? Because depending on who you listen to, who you talk to, what kind of body image do you look at or body language do you look at, uh, they, they all have some basis, they all have some thoughts. But does it really matter? That is the question. And so this brings me to uh, question a little bit of whose incentive structure, who, uh, who Jingtao, not who, not H, not WHO, who Jingtao's incentive structure, right? So we, we think a little bit, we move away from all the kind of body language, uh, this whole like, is this stage and all that, and just talk a little bit about who as a person and what is his incentive structure. So Hu Jingtao essentially is the predecessor of Xi Jinping, right? And he was a successor of Jiang Zemin. Uh, but the interesting part about Hu Jingtao is that he is pretty much a nobody now, right? At this point in time, it doesn't really matter what he says. People don't really care about him as a significant individual. C has kind of already taken over as the important guy in the party. In other words, if you think about it, who as a continuity president, right? He's someone that continued the policies of his elder generation from Teng to Jiang Zemin to him. It's a continuity situation. In other words, he doesn't have popular support amongst the people and he's not particularly politically strong. So does he have the ability to then go and challenge C. It's like, mm, nah, maybe not, right? But does he have the political will and the desire to do that? What is his incentive structure? The answer is, I am not very sure. But the reality, if you think about it, this guy has kids. This guy has a legacy to take care of. So this is a suicidal move, you know? If In actuality, if this whole thing was a stage move, then this is suicidal, right? So if who staged this move, it is a political suicide. And it's going to affect all his family. It's going to affect all the people around him. So why does he have to do that? I'm not sure. And I don't think anybody is very sure. Everybody is just trying to read body language, trying to read all that, and less so about the current situation. So to me, who doesn't have real incentive to try to do this whole saga or try to stage this whole saga? And this brings us to the other party that is involved in this saga, which is C. Does C have an incentive to stage this whole thing? Um, probably yes. There is some level of incentive that C may want to stage some sort of a performance uh, to show this whole change but in my view, it is a very slim possibility, right? Without checking people's body language and all that, we just think about it from an incentive structure standpoint. By now, you should know C has already consolidated his power. So if he has already consolidated his power, why does he still need to give a tight slap to the other people that may or may not be aligned with him? There is a certain level of tyranny that once you cross, you are essentially welcoming your political opponent to then consolidate to go against you. But between becoming a tyrant and having political enemy and competitors, there is a ground where everybody kind of be like, okay lah, you know, things just move on lah, right? You do you. You know, uh, some of my incentive structures are checked. You take care of my people. My faction is, you know, it's integrated on some level and that is okay. And I do think that that is the current situation. And if C were to go and slap his predecessor <laughs> out in public, 
he is just welcoming um, a whole tyrannical narrative around him, which is what you already see with Western mainstream media. Everyone is talking about it, making Xi sound like a tyrant or sowing doubt in the political stability of the Chinese, Chinese uh, communists, which is what the Western media is already doing, right? Either sowing doubt in the political stability within the Chinese Communist Party or, you know, or the Communist Party of China, depending on how you want to put it, or just kind of pushing this whole tyrannical idea like, no, she doesn't respect his elders, he's a tyrant, he's out there to be authoritarian, want to centralize power and blah, 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 and like just compete with everyone else. So simply put, nobody can really be sure whether or not this see who thing it's really a setup, is it really stage and does both sides have incentive to do it? I don't really think so. I think they have come to their common understanding of how to move the party forward already and to do this uh, what do they stand to gain? I don't know and you already see how the western mainstream media has already started to pummel this home and sow dub and all that right so who is you know what is there to gain? I don't know but what I'm very sure is that who doesn't have the ability nor the palette to really go and challenge C in the open like that. He does have his descendants and they are all in the political party. Does he really want to do it? I don't know. This is a political suicide, you know, if this was a move. As for C, question mark. Very, very unclear. But there are a few things, particularly with this 20th Party Congress, that I think we are very clear that I want us to focus on and expand upon. Number one, C has successfully consolidated political power. This is a reality, I'm sure you can tell. Whether you like C or not, whether you agree with the political structure of how the Chinese have decided to move forward or not, you must accept that C has consolidated his power, his grip on power. And this is not the first day, right? All the way in the early days of anti-corruption. And some people will say it's really corruption. Okay, fair. I think there's some level of anti-corruption, which is well and good. Uh, there's also a bunch of people that will believe that through this anti-corruption campaign, C went on to try to dig out some of his political enemy, which I think is also a fair statement. But regardless, since a long time ago, 10 years ago, he has already done some of these moves and over the period of time has promoted people from Xi'an, Hunan, Fujian, where places where he comes from or Mao comes from and uh, it, is, it is essentially a process of raising his political power and raising his political strength within the party overall already. So in other words, it is not very surprising that C has successfully consolidated his power. The interesting part where the Western media tries to play this two narrative is on one end, they are trying to say, oh, C has consolidated his power, he's an authoritarian, blah, 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 blah. And then on the other end, they are also peddling this narrative to say, that, oh, maybe there's political instability, there's infighting, there's faction. I was like, brother, these two things, right, they kind of are matching, you know? On one end, you say that they have consolidated his power. On the other end, you're saying that there's political dispute or political factions within the party. It, it, it's like, uh, so what you want? <laughs> so they, they cannot stand, you know, these two things are mutually exclusive, right? It's very hard for both, both narratives to stand at the same time. So I am definitely leaning on the side that C has successfully consolidated its power. It is, and this is just a show at this point in time. It is not something that, you know, it's not a move amongst all the things that he has done, right? It's just that at this point in time, he's out here to proclaim that, okay, I've consolidated my power and I'm going to be here to continue to push the ideas and the narratives that he wants to push 
for his country. So the interesting part about a consolidated power, I think this is the part that we need to discuss. So like it or not, he has consolidated his power. And when someone has consolidated his power, what can they do? They can do big moves. In other words, a lot of reforms, a lot of political reforms or like financial reforms, education reforms, military reforms can all be done in the next five years to the next 10 years within his rule. The interesting part that I think a lot of people don't recognize is that in order to participate or practice some of these moves, you need a lot of political power, a lot of political capital because in other words, you're going to be affecting a lot of other interest groups, right? From private tuition all the way up to like gaming giants, all the way to tech giants, you already see all these repercussions of C's recent moves over the past few years, right? So same thing probably will happen in small other, in other sectors that he is going to touch. But if you ask ourselves, is it a need for China to go through some of these reforms? I would say yes. China at this point in time has already maxed out a lot of the parts that they are familiar with, right? Two main ideas here. The first one is that China already runs trade surplus with all the major economies out there, Japan, UK, Europe, US, you know, Maybe after some of these whole sanctions and you know legal challenges and all these kind of shit that the West is throwing at China, it may change. But time before that, okay, before all this trade war and all this economic war, China has already been in a trade surplus situation across all of them, against all of them. In other words, they have already sell way more than what they buy from other nations across the world. So it's very hard for them to continue to sell more unless they can create interesting new things that other countries want to buy. The other thing is that China has also built out its rail network, built out its infrastructure network, its roads, its bridges, all the things that they can build, the dams. Many of these things have already been built and there's no more space in like the Changxiang or the Huanghe or the mountainous region or like, you know, like where, where else do you want to build? <laughs> there's only so much that you can build. So China, you can say that China has already maxed out some of this infrastructure strategy that it has allocated money to over over the past few decades and following one belt one road it is essentially trying to push this strategy beyond chinese borders right so that they can start to build these uh, things in other nations in other places to allocate their resources and their capital in other places but at the core i think what you can start to think a little bit about is that china has already maxed out the things that they are familiar with, from infrastructure building to export-oriented economy, they have already maxed out some of these things. And you can even argue that they face some problems like the property bubble and uh, some of these banking situations that they are in. In other words, in order for China to continue to grow, it needs to do a lot of changes. From improving its technology offering, because now the, the world really buy almost everything from China. Everything is made in China. Today made in China is nothing special anymore, right? So if everything is already made in China, what more can you sell mean? In other words, they got to provide higher value products. They got to provide new technological products. They got to provide new sexy products that people want out there. So they're going to be spending a lot of more money in technology development and they're going to try to consolidate some of these things as you move along. Because in order to develop new technology, some of these old technology have to go. So some of your incentive structures will have to shift and it's going to affect certain interest groups. This is one thing. 
the other thing is as China developed, it has constantly said that they want to do the whole green economy thing, which on some level, it's already aligned because they have stopped collecting rubbish from all over the world, which is why now Indonesia, Malaysia, some other places in Southeast Asia has become the dumping ground of the world, okay? Sadly, but this is what it is. So China has already stopped this whole dumping thing and they have adjusted their rural urban migration policies such that they can allow city people to move into rural parts so that you know they can have a longer rent, longer lease. Because if you didn't know, many parts of China, many parts of rural China is still owned by the Chinese peasants as a collective. It is not centrally owned in that sense. right? In the sense that they don't technically own the place but they have like an unlimited use of it, more or less, or endless lease. This has been a structure set upon for a very, very long time since the revolution. So China is very serious about growing this whole green economy thing and you hear them say this time and time again. In other words, very hard to translate but just trying to tell you that um, the greenery and uh, the wealth of the space, you know, the green and the water and the wind, the nature uh, is where money is, right? So that is the wealth of the nation, right? And they're going to do a lot of that. So that will probably spur some level of growth, but I doubt there's a lot of growth in such spaces. You hear one or two examples of like, okay, you know, China do this, or some resort, you know, like blah, blah. So some of these things, expedition, I get it, I get it. It's well and good, but I don't think it's going to be a main driver for the economy. It's probably going to be a main driver for the collective growth of China. In other words, how do you define success in China? Maybe it is this green economy idea. The next thing that China probably will have to develop is the financial economy, right? Because naturally, as you become the largest economy of the, of the world, as uh, you have more and more commodities out there that's coming out from you, uh, there are natural trajectory to develop your own commodity exchange, which they did, and also develop your bond market and develop your currency market. So there is a natural trajectory towards this. And also as the Chinese people have more and more money, they have to create all these kind of services and facilities to support the Chinese capital moving in and out and within the nation. So I do think there will be a lot of development in the financial world, but probably not in derivatives or in futures, right? Because uh, the Chinese have talked about this time and time again. They do not want speculation activity within their economy and they want capital to serve the real economy. But I will argue that bonds or stocks or even commodities market if done well, uh, does serve the interests of the real market and not just the speculative financial market that you see today. Which brings me to point number two, is that seize China or China, China or China, 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 whatever you want to call it, China has limited incentive to close up and kind of cordon itself away from the global world order or global economic order at this point in time. And I will talk to you a little bit more afterward from our sponsor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
So this is quite a talk of the town. A lot of people are very afraid. Oh, what if China close up? La? What if it tries to mess around with the global economic order? What if it doesn't want to trade with us? What if it start to do all the sanction shit that the US also has done? So when you think about it, if you are winning in a particular game, will you want to change it? That's the question mark, right? It's like today, you ask Michael Phelps, right? Does he want to change the rules of swimming? Maybe Joseph Schooling wants lah. No! <laughs> no, I say one, no, I say one. Cancer, cancer, producer, please cut this out. Right, maybe... <laughs> or you ask LKY, you know, Lo Kuan Yu. Does he want to change the rules of badminton? I doubt they want to because they are winning in the game. And if you are winning in the game, you are not incentivized to change the rules of the game. So think a little bit about it. Does China want to change the global world economic order at this point in time? Or is it the US that's coming in to put up a lot of new policies and strategies to try to clamp down and reshape global economic order? Let us not forget what Trump said. What we want is fair trade not free trade. In other words, they have taken a pivot from their free trade ideas uh, that has been running for many, many decades. And that is not to say the US is evil. They are just practicing what they believe to be the best way forward. It is aligned with their incentive structure. But when you look at China, ask yourself, if you are class number one or number two going to beat number one already, will you want to change the rules of the game? I doubt so. So when I look at this thing, I don't think China have incentive to change the world order or change the world economic order. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that don't be so afraid. Lah, right? I get it. A lot of people are very concerned. Is it going to affect my job? Is it going to affect my career? Is it going to affect my money? Is it going to affect all these things? Uh, I highly doubt so. China is not planning to shake up the world economic order. But something to think a little bit about is that as China rise and continue to push itself to become the world's number one economy. There is one thing that is just dangling down there, which is the dominance of the US dollar. Can the dollar continue to stay there? I doubt so. If China takes its position as the world's number one economy, eventually people will start to trade in yuan. You already see it, Saudi, Turkey, Iran, Russia, more and more countries. If you didn't know already, if you didn't yet know, okay, during the 2008 financial crisis, China, Korea, Japan has already signed a currency pact to trade within their own areas in their own currency. Right? So you start to see more and more of these currency packs tying directly to China. So as China becomes dominant and more and more people trade with China and more and more money is traded within this Chinese ecosystem, we really got to be quite concerned about the US dollar, especially you and I, where we put some money in the US market today, right? So think a little bit about it. Mm, is the US dollar going to be here for long? I don't know. So if we really think about it, right, I would argue that China is actually quite afraid of this whole situation, right? Because um, they hold a lot of money in the US dollar system. And recently, you see how Russia's money has been confiscated and uh, how they, you know, essentially there's a lot of all these sanctions stuff going around, right? So for all of you that didn't know, actually China has already signed multiple currency packs uh, to allow them to trade in their home currency, right? So... Uh, in 2008, 2009, they've already signed the pact between China, Korea, and Japan such that they trade in their own currency. And recently, they've signed with Saudi, Turkey, Iran, some of these countries. And at different phases of this arrangement, but they are all going to work on a currency pact with 
China. So in other words, they're going to trade in their own home currency or even the Chinese currency. So eventually, you will see this thing happen. You will see this whole part evolve, which is interesting and also a little bit concerning because for you and I, a lot of us that hold some sort of uh, shares in, in US dollar or put some sort of our money in the US, uh, we got to ask ourselves, like, is the US dollar going to stay? And if it depreciates, how it's going to affect us? And it's a very, very real problem and it's increasingly a real phenomenon. It's not going to happen overnight. But uh, if it gets shaved off, you know, it's also very painful. So something to think a little bit about and uh, explore to see, can this USD thing continue to stay? Is it, is it here to stay or is it eventually going to go? And in my view, lah, in my view, my very uneducated view is it's going to go, right? The reserve currency is only reserved for the biggest economy out there. But the other big part that I think China will be interested in to shape is the political structure of the world, right? So, and, and I say shape not in the sense they're going to like remove the UN, uh, you know, like attack everybody. No, 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 no. Okay, like, let's be real. Once again, they are winning. So if they're winning in the system, why would they want to trade? Why would they want to change WTO? Why would they want to change some of these things? But they do want to have a little bit more say and they do want to have a little bit more influence. And they're not alone. India, Saudi, Turkey, um, a lot of these countries that have a bigger population and a bigger landmass, they are also very interested in trying to have a bigger say in international affairs, right? So I always say international community, actually, it's just the G7, G8, right? <laughs> so so to, to really make it an international community, I do think China and some of their friends or allies uh, are interested to try to uh, shape some of these situations, right? So some of this political structure, you will maybe see them try to include other people within the UN within the Security Council or even within like be becoming more participatory in Africa or even in ASEAN, uh, becoming an equal member or join some of these other packs and lead some of these things, right? Because uh, let's be clear, they are also incentivized to do that. When you are the taker, you're number one already. Are you just going to like kind of sit around? You got to do something, bro. If not, I'm not going to play with you, right? So China is also getting pushed up on this political ladder to try to do more things for themselves and the people that or the countries and their interest groups, right? So, so that is the reality and I do think China will do some of these things. Right? As to what, as to when, I'm not very sure, but I personally come from a view that China is not going to shake up the world economic order. The US is the one that's going to do some of that. But China is going to try to change some of these political structures involved. And so this brings me to point number three. And that is, actually C is very worried for the people, right? In a sense that he's not, not, not just worried for the people, but he's very worried about people's revolution. Let us not forget uh, that the CCP or the CPC, whatever name you want to call it, blah, 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 whatever you call it, they are people's revolution, right? So they came about in a people's revolution, which is why when you look at Lee Kuan Yew, I don't know can say or not, don't cancel me, right? Look at Lee Kuan Yew. He came out of the workers' union, which is why after he came out of the workers' union, he tried very hard <laughs> to, to consolidate the workers' union, right? And, and look at where we are, lah. Hopefully, our union work harder, lah, okay? But, 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 okay, that aside, um, the, C the CPC is well aware of the revolution and the revolutionary energy of the people. Have you not seen the kind of videos out there, right? How the Chinese people surround Evergrande's building, how the Chinese people go on the streets to protest this Shanghai lockdown, how the people went on the streets of Hunan to protest the Hunan banking crisis. And when I was in China, I saw those kind of protests in person, right? It's not very well reported, but it exists and it's there and it the local governance, right? So 
these things exist and China has a lot of revolutionary energy and that's why I think China, I think C is a lot more concerned and I think you and I, we should be a lot more concerned about whether the new committee or whether the new political committee can actually solve some of these problems. Which is why I get there, a lot of people are concerned like, mm, can this Li Qiang guy do it, right? Because to be fair, uh, he feel a little bit like he was helicoptered, right? Like 18 months in Shanghai, kind of helicoptered, didn't really solve some of the problems or, you know, so, so it feels like, mm, you know, you, you can dump him, right? Which I get it. If there's basis for that, you can question his ability because as the premier, he's pretty much the guy that is in charge of uh, managing this whole structure, right? So if you doubt him, I get it. And I don't have any uh, good view on, on, on this person. Right? No, no informed view or more nuanced view about it. Right? But instead of uh, pointing out at a particular person, I think you can give him a little bit of time to see, you know, see for yourself. Maybe he's the son of Pongole. <laughs> Son of Chuang, right? No, maybe I, I don't know. Don't don't puff mummy. Don't puff mummy. Okay, but maybe he can perform slightly different over time, right? But what is important is to push aside this idea that I think, in my view, like at least, is to push aside this concern about political instability in fighting. You know, I, I think those things have already been solved over the past two decades. That's why C can successfully ascend. That's why he can put a lot of his people in the Politburo. You know, it's like, like I said, uh, again and again, it's, it's, these two things don't stand together. right? How can you say someone has politically consolidated and talk about, oh no, there's a fear of political instability. No, rubbish. But the people's instability is a thing. right? And that's the part that I want us to focus a little bit more. Over the next few years, can China and C's team solve some of these problems, reform their banking structure, reform their property structures, you know, sort out some of these problems and uh, bring China to the next level. And that's the part that you need to be concerned about because I am a firm believer that if they cannot solve these problems, uh, there will be more energy to revolt, there will be more energy to kind of you know, do all these other things to, to challenge the power of the CPC and not just uh, see himself, right? So, so the, I think these are some things to think a little bit more about and uh, I'm a firm believer that C is more concerned about this. I mean, even in his speeches, right, he talked a little bit about, you know, social, the youth, you know, a, a lot of these things that, to be clear, I think China is still subpar in its social structures, right? In terms of healthcare, in terms of education, in terms of housing, there are some real problems, especially in the cities. In the rural parts, not so much. Right? Especially in the cities, there are all these kind of migration problems, you know, and all that. That you can see for yourself, right? It's there. So uh, focus on that. I would say that is the main focus, and uh, we can observe as we move along to see if they if it works, right? And if if this whole banking shit blows up and this whole like property thing continue to become a problem, oh my goodness, then it's gonna be quite a headache. So yeah, uh, watch out for some of these things, and I think those are the important things to think a little bit about lah, huh? not this see who thing okay <laughs> waste time waste energy hi this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
Overall, I want to sum up the three things that I think you and I can focus on from this 20th Party Congress and going forward, right? So, uh, please, stop this see-who rubbish. Okay, number one is that C has successfully consolidated its influence and its power, right? Which renders him to be in a political high ground to make a lot of reforms. So as to what he reforms, how he reforms, you may like it, you may not, because it may affect your incentive structures. All that is, is up for discussion. But at least you know that in such a political high ground, big things will happen and big things can happen because he has essentially consolidated the power. Number two is that C is very unlikely and China is very unlikely to shake up the world economic order because they are winning, right? And you can see they say that they continue to open up, they continue to practice free trade and they try very hard to dampen the fear of the markets and all that, right? So they, they do a lot of those things and we will see more policies as we move along. But I do think they're incentivized to change up some of this political structure in the world uh, because as they ascend, they want to have more influence. This one, I fully understand and I think they will do it. Okay, like it or not, they will do it. And this is the point number three that I think all of us should focus on is that focus on the people's problem, right? If C can solve the people's problem and dampen some of these recent things that have happened, then uh, I would say political stability will last maybe another few decades, okay? And if he cannot, then uh, yeah, lah, uh, big problems will come for China. Right? So instead of uh, wasting your time to, to try to like micro-read, you know, hey, at least body language, okay, not like what, hey, is who like, you know, aging well or whatever rubbish that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else the mainstream media can pull. Okay, and who, who, where else can they dig out all these scholars to try to substantiate their point? Instead of wasting your energy on that, I do think that you and I, we should focus on whether Chinese government can solve some of these problems. If not, uh, there's a lot of revolution energy, right? And uh, bigger problems will then come along. Alright, so with that, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debate and discuss. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our socials. Uh, what else? Uh, many things, uh, many things. Everybody want me to tell you to do everything. Okay, so I think one thing, one thing you should do is to follow our YouTube channel. Uh, right? Follow our YouTube channel, like, share, subscribe. Uh, we're going to reboot YouTube. I'm going to try to do more monologues with videos, which is very tiring, actually very hard. You know, really, really, you think just look at the camera, talk to you like I shall see like that, right? So, <laughs> so like, share, subscribe, give me some motivation, okay? So, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. Yeah, so this is a breaking episode. I hope you find it interesting. Uh, I am quite a big Chinese observer. I mean, I lived there before. I use all the things that, you know, people talk about, like your Meituan, like your Tianping, like your, which is one group, like, you know, your Alibaba, your Tengxin, your WeChat, your QQ, your C-Trip. A lot of these apps, a lot of these things that people talk about, I have physically used them for a prolonged period, DT and all that. Right? So I have ex some experience with China and uh, I have been a Chinese observer for quite a while. I would say, maybe maybe to say i Chinese observer, a bit, a bit bring myself to atas. Huh? So, but I've been observing China for a while and I've also observed the kind of uh, one-sided narrative of the West when they look at China. So China is not perfect. They have a lot of problems and uh, they have certain incentive structures that I think we need to highlight, like political incentive structures, the, the things that they want to change and the things that I think they don't want to change. That I don't know why people are constantly saying... You know, and uh, if you ask me, so many days of the Party Congress, if this is the only thing that the West can talk about, then you really got to question your time lah, to try to consume mainstream media. Okay, so like, share, subscribe, lah, you know, give us a follow so you get better information. Alright, so. <laughs>
so what they say la. But yes, uh, hope you learned something useful and continue uh, join me as I continue to try to look at China in a more objective and a less West tainted view of it la. Okay, uh, yeah. Hopefully China continue to do its good job to so that we can all continue to make progress and prosper. Because let us be real, okay? Singapore, I don't know how many people realise, amongst the top 10 ports in the world, six ports are in China. One is in Singapore, one is in Klang, two is in, China, uh, two is in the US. In other words, the Straits of Malacca does make a lot of money. Our port does drive a lot of direct GDP and indirect GDP uh, for us. And, and, which is why I totally get it why Sien Long and friends have to go online or like go on, on the mainstream thing and say, oh, globalisation. Because we benefit from it. I fully get it. And let us also not forget that I think over the past decade or two, a lot of the money that's coming into Singapore, the capital, that, not about the service providers, huh? a lot of the capital that is coming into Singapore to be managed in Singapore is actually Chinese money. You see, right? Chinese people buy property, la, they invest here, the open family office here, a lot of these things. They're all tied, you know, to China. And for the our five percent, ten percent Malaysian listeners, a lot of the manufacturing projects and a lot of the supply chain uh, are in are in fact, you know, part of the Chinese market. Like it or not, we are incentivized for China's growth, right? We cannot lie to ourselves. As much as uh, sometimes you are morally not aligned, I get it. You feel uncomfortable, I get it. You want to kind of pressure them to do some changes, I get it. You know, I don't fully align with them morally also, but baseline. Can first, right? Can you can you makan? Is the base incentive does it work? Uh, ask yourself, right? Is is China really that bad and that evil? And have they tried to control you? I don't know. Ask yourself.